Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. What a blessing it is to be able to worship God together. We don't want to take it for granted. Well, I've told you in the past a, somewhat of a story about a man named Leonard. And uh, so bear with me, I'm going to tell it to you again, maybe in a little more detail. Leonard, um, Leonard grew up fast and he grew up big. He was bigger than most of the kids his age. And he grew up tough because he lived in a tough place. And Leonard because of his, what was going on in life and, and, and the issues surrounding him, didn't do real well in school. And so back in that day, you didn't do well in school, you didn't get passed on. You did a grade again. And he did several grades again. And he finally dropped out of school when he was 16 years old in the sixth grade. Well, needless to say, Leonard, he didn't read real well, you know. Some of his math skills weren't that great. And, and so he had to figure out how to, to get money and make a living. And so he made living off of his strength. He was big and strong and able to work hard. And, and so he did that. Uh, but he soon discovered that you don't make a lot of money doing that. And there was an element around him that was criminal. And there seemed to be a way to make some money there. So he, he kind of got on the fringe of that and started doing some of that and, and, and making better money at it, right? And then there was, uh, what happened at that point, he, he attracted the attention of some more serious criminal types who asked him to do what you would call enforcement work for him, for them, right? To go make sure somebody's paying to, with the threat of force. And, and I... I think he just kind of toyed with that and never really got into that. <clears throat> this, he's still a teenager at this point. Okay? Well, life goes on for him, and it's not getting any better. It's, it's going down. He's, he's a rough guy. He's not, you wouldn't want to mess with this guy at all, I guarantee you. Okay? And, and he became angry. In fact, he, he, he got known for his temper. I mean, if something didn't go the way Leonard thought it ought to go, look out. Seriously. I mean, he would... Back in the days when there were phones on the wall, he would rip the phones off the wall and throw them and turn things over. And it, he, people would back off and leave him alone. And that's how he ended up dealing with things. Angry. And anger just became a way of life for him. Well, at some point in his life, there's young adult years, he uh, and his brother were trying to take a transmission out of a car in the garage of the house. And as they did it, they came to a disagreement on how something ought to be done. And disagreement led to an exchange of words and who knows whose buttons got pushed in which ways. But all of a sudden, Leonard's brother realized he better run and run for his life. And, and he did. And he ran and he headed to, to get to the door to, to, from the garage into the house. And as he did, Leonard pulled the pistol out and aimed it. And as the door slammed behind him, he pulled the trigger and shot it and wounded his brother through the door. Well, it wasn't long until the police show up. Leonard's sitting in jail. And, and his heart is harder than ever. And he's angrier than ever. 
Somehow Leonard makes bail. And he's out. But when you look at Leonard, you say, there's no way in the world this guy would ever be interested in Christ. Do you know anybody like that? Right now, I want you to try to think of somebody today that you think about that person. You say, wow, yeah, that person is one of the least likely persons I could ever imagine coming to Christ. Can you try to think of somebody like that right now? Have you got someone in mind? If you do, raise your hand. Okay, I want you to think. Who is there like that? That I think, well, when I think of the people in my life that I know that, you know, might come to Christ, that person's probably not it. Not going to happen. Well, I want you to think about that person today. And by the way, we're going to come back to Leonard, if you're wondering. But I want you to think about that person or people who came to your mind today. And keep it in mind as we go through the sermon today. And and if somebody else comes to mind, add them to the list and try to envision them in light of the things that we're talking about here today. You know, the Bible has a story about a man. By the way, we're talking about hard cases here, right? Hard cases. And... uh, and I don't know if there's any way to get the, the monitor up here in front of me. That'd be awesome if there was. So we're talking about hard cases. People that you just say on the outside, they just, they, no way do they look like they would ever come to Christ. Well, the Bible tells us about someone like that. It's a man named Saul. Now, most of us would more quickly recognize his name as Paul. Because later in his life, he began using his Roman name instead of his Jewish name. But he starts off as Saul, and that's where our story starts today. So let's, let's go to the Bible and look at a, a story of a hard case here. Acts chapter 7. Now, just to catch us up from where we were last week, we saw that we saw that um, there had been some division growing in the church there in Jerusalem because some people's widows weren't getting taken care of. And, and so that happened. Uh, they resolved that issue. The church continues to grow. Well, one of the seven men that got chosen to take care of the widows, what we probably consider one of the first deacons of the church, um, he He did more than take care of widows. He became very powerful in speaking for God. He was even able to do miracles. And it got him in trouble with the religious leaders. And so they haul him in before the court. And and he gets to talk to them. And he tells them the whole story. uh, Here's history of the Jewish people. And, um, And then by the time he gets down to the end, of course, he's come up to Jesus being the Messiah. And he says, hey, you guys are the ones that crucified him. You put the, the Savior of the world to death. You, you crucified your own Messiah. Well, they were not happy about that at all. Okay? And they determined that he was blaspheming because he was talking about Jesus as God. And they weren't, didn't want to have that. Okay? So let's pick up here in chapter 7. Uh, we're on page 1262. If you don't have a Bible with you, we really encourage you to take one out of the pew there. And turn to page 1262 and follow along with this. Because it's really important that we see what God is saying here. So verse number 54 of chapter 7. says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. That doesn't mean they were biting him, okay? But they were, ah. You ever felt that way? Ah. That's where they were at with Stephen. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven 
And God gave him a vision. It says, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, what did that mean? That means Jesus, the Son of God, with God. He's God. That's what he's saying. And it's just like pouring gasoline on their fire here. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. Have you ever done that, you know, when someone's talking to you and you didn't want to hear what they were saying? You guys act like I'm the only one? The kids have done it. We've done it, right? I mean, we get the idea. Well, they weren't doing it with uh, uh, that kind of, but they were probably yelling at him, but they were closing the ears because it was so uh, offensive to them to hear that Jesus would be God. They, they just weren't, weren't buying it. It was blasphemy to them. And, and they ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So here we're introduced to Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Sounds a lot like his Savior dying, right? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Chapter 8 here. Now Saul was consenting to his death. And so this is where we get introduced to Saul. And Saul is sort of like this rising star of the religious leaders. He's a young man. That probably means he was in his 20s, could have been 30, uh, the way the, they uh, talked about young men at that point in time. And what's interesting here is that uh, the Jewish people did not have the authority. Remember, Rome is in control, right? Rome is occupying the land. The Jewish people did not have the authority to put someone to death without getting the approval of the Roman government. Well, they didn't get that approval here. But see, so what happened is occasionally, you know, people get so worked up and they would go kill somebody because of something like this. And, and, but the religious leaders, they, you know, stood back from them. They, they weren't a part of it. And they could say to the Roman governor, well, we didn't, we didn't have anything to do with this, you know. And even though they might have been on the backside stirring up the crowd. But Saul didn't do that. Saul stepped up and took a stand openly consenting to this. So he's identifying himself openly with what's going on here. And that, I'm sure that brought him even greater notice to the religious leaders. And they're going to take advantage of this with Saul. Now we see there's an escalation. It's interesting. Saul isn't, he doesn't stay just consenting to what the people were doing. Let's continue to read here. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over them. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So he has gone from consenting to actively pursuing. And this idea of havoc, if somebody's reaching havoc, they're, they're causing ruin, they're causing destruction, they're causing all sorts of harm. And that's what Saul was doing. It, it says every house, now it's not every house in Jerusalem, but every place that he thought there were Christians, what'd he do? In a house he went. Every time they, he'd find out they were meeting somewhere, in the house he went, and they'd drag him out and take him off to prison. Things are escalating with Paul. 
Turn over to chapter 9. And verse number 1. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, breathing out, breathing threats and murder. I think the King James word uses slaughter. Okay? Uh, but it's, it's almost like, you know, there's a song, right? You are, the, one of our worship songs, you are the air I breathe, right? Talking about the Lord and you know, how, how central he is to our lives. And, and so Paul here, he's breathing threats and murder. That's what has now become his life. And they, these were not idle threats. Uh, turn over to chapter 22, back a few pages farther in your Bible there. In chapter 22, he's talking about this time in his life later. And in verse number four, he says this. I persecuted this way, talking about Christianity, I persecuted this way to the death. He had people killed. I don't know if they were killed on the spot or killed later, but we see this. He says, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. This was not an idle threat. If you heard that Saul was coming, you were in trouble. If Saul knew where you were as a Christian and you were going to meet with, you were in trouble. Now, it isn't enough for him, though, Jerusalem and the surrounding area. That isn't enough. He's driven by this. Verse number five. He continues. He says, also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren, to the Jewish brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So he wanted to go to Damascus about 150 miles away from Jerusalem because he must have heard that the, there, some of these Christians had gone there and he wanted to go find them there and he wanted to drag them back to Jerusalem, put them in jail. Have them killed, if possible. It gets worse. Chapter 26. Again, he's, he's looking back and talking about this in his life. In verse 9, he says, of chapter 26, verse 9, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I was for it. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Whereas I made them say the truth about what they really believed. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. Exceedingly enraged against them. And his life is driven by rage, isn't it? How likely of a character does Paul seem to be to become a Christian? To be open to the gospel. When Paul describes himself years later, he says that I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a hate-filled, mean-spirited man, the worst kind of sinner. Blasphemer meaning I lied about God. I said things that weren't true about God. 
a, a persecutor, right? We, we know what that means. Hateful, mean-spirited. This wasn't just a job. He, he was, what did it say, exceedingly enraged. And he says, I was the chief of sinners, the worst kind of sinner. The worst kind of sinner that sins in the name of God. Well, that sounds a lot like ISIS today, doesn't it? So the next time you hear something that ISIS is doing, think Saul. That's what he was doing. Real hard case, isn't he? Saul is fleshing out the reality of what it means to be unsaved. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. It's page 1343 in the Bible that's in the pew there, 1343. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, and you he made alive. He's talking to Christians now. But now he's going to describe what being unsaved is like. The reality of being unsaved. And by the way, if you're new to us today and you hear unsaved, you aren't sure what we mean. We're talking about um, the fact that we've all sinned against God. We've all done things that we know we ought not to do that are wrong. Those sins have separated us from God. They have made us spiritually dead to God. And if we die in that condition, we, we go to hell, separated from God forever. Okay, that's, that's what being unsaved means. That's where it leads us. And, and so this is what he's going to describe to us here. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead to God spiritually in which you once walked according to the course of this world, the ways of the world instead of the ways of God, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He says whether unsaved people realize it or not, they are operating in the sphere of Satan because they are in opposition to God deep down inside. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind as we did what we wanted to do for us. And were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Children, he says children of wrath, he's talking about those of it. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserved it. And so Paul's life is expressing that outwardly, isn't it? What he's describing there is the way he was living openly on the outside, harsh, hurtful, angry, sinning, blaspheming, killing. Real hard case. How in the world could a man like Saul ever get saved? How could he? Only one way. And we find it in the next two words. Verse 4, but God. But God. You see, we're all in this boat. You understand that? We are all in this boat. This description that we just read is where all of us are before we come to Jesus. Matt came to a relationship with Christ when he was eight years old. And you know, his life didn't look too terrible. But inside, this is the way he was. This is the way we all are before we come to Christ. But God, 
God did something. God intervened. Let's read. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show excuse me, show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, in Christ Jesus is the solution. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so here's what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Uh, we were the ones who were lost. We sinned against God. We are spiritually dead. We are separated from him. We are headed for an eternity in hell by nature. But God so loved the world. Say that with me. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved us enough that he took on human form. Jesus, the son of God, lives a sinless and perfect life uh, deserving nothing but honor and, and admiration. And instead, he is taken and he is crucified. And as he is crucified, as he dies on the cross for us, the Bible says that the Father took the sin and penalty, the guilt for my sins, all of them, the ones I have already committed, the ones I will commit, every one of them, all of your sins, the sins of everybody in the whole world, including sins of ISIS. I mean, Everybody. And Jesus died on the cross. And as he did, he pays the penalty for this. And he dies. Three days later, he rises again, alive again, showing that God had accepted that payment for sin and that he was now victorious over sin. And what God offers to us now is his grace, salvation by grace. He says, you can't fix your problem. Deep down inside, you're so messed up, you absolutely cannot fix this. You cannot go back and, and change the things you've already done. It's impossible. I'm offering you a gift. By my grace, I'm offering you a gift you can't pay for, you cannot earn. But you have to be honest. You have to come, come forward with me, and you have to be honest and acknowledge that you are lost. That, the, that, you know, I have sinned against God and, and I know it's separate from me and I can't fix the problem. Here I am, God. But I believe, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God, the Lord. I believe that and that he died for my sins and rose again. I, I believe that and right now I'm putting my trust in Jesus to save me, to forgive me to take care of the sin problem I cannot take care of. That's what he says, saved by grace through faith, not of works. And at that moment when someone comes to Christ, he forgives every sin, every sin. How many sins? Everyone, all of them. And he, he, he uh, gives you eternal life. When this life is over, hell is no longer your destination. It's heaven because he has done something permanently in you. And then he comes to live inside of you and begins to work on you and change you from the inside out. But I want you to see something here. We know this story. We know that Saul ends up getting saved, right? How do you get saved? Like me. 
like you. You see, um, hard cases are no farther away from God than we were. Let that soak in. Those people that you've thought of, you said, not that person. That person will, I can't ever see them getting saved. There's no way. I want you to understand, that person is no farther away from God than you were because we were all right here, same place. Now, it may look different on the outside because of life circumstances and what's happened. They may be fleshing it out more. They may be sinning in different ways than you or more than you, and it may look worse than you, but you know what? doesn't matter how you look on the outside. The reality is what's true on the inside you see, so they are no farther away from God than any of us were before we came to Christ. So you see, we all ultimately have to come the same way. So if, if I could get saved, that means anyone could get saved. You know, would you say that? Why don't you read that with me, okay? Say, if I could get saved, then anyone can get saved. Do you believe that? So how did the Apostle Paul, he comes Apostle Paul, how did Saul finally come to Christ? Was somebody witnessing to him? You wouldn't think so. Christians weren't typically witnessing to him. They were running from him, right? But God was at work. And what I want you to see is this. Sometimes the hard case, you look at the person who's a hard case, it may very well, you aren't seeing it, but God is at work in that person's life in some way. One reason I know that is because you're in their life. You're in their life, and so God's at work on them. But he may be working in ways you don't even see. Go over to chapter, Acts 26 again. And I don't remember what page that was. It's in the 1200s somewhere. Let's look at this again. And I punished them, verse 11, Acts 26, verse 11. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And when he says I compelled them to blaspheme, what he's mean is I, I made them fess up to what they believed about this Jesus. Because he thought, now I got them. See, now I can accuse them. Now I can throw them in jail. Now I can have them killed, right? I made them blaspheme. But when they blasphemed, from Paul's perspective, what were they doing? They were saying, Jesus is the Messiah. They were saying, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He died for our sins. He rose again from the dead. Paul thinks he's compelling them to, to blaspheme, and God is using it to witness to him. So that the day he finds God on the road to Damascus, God shows up and confronts him, God has already been stirring his heart big time, which is probably the reason we see him getting angrier and angrier and angrier as he pushes back against God. So God may very well be working in the lives of those people that you think of as a hard case who never gets saved. That's not that person. I can't even imagine talking to that person about it. God may already be at work. And, and since you're in their life, we know that he is at work. And so what should you do with those hard cases? By the way, let me say this. Don't give up on hard cases because God saves hard cases. 
He does. And so these people in your life that you thought of, how, how should you interact with them? First of all, don't avoid them or, or ignore them. That's easy to do, isn't it? When someone's a really nasty person, <laughs> you know, we're going to avoid that one. I'm not going in that room or whatever, okay? Don't do that. Is that what Jesus did with you? Not what Jesus did with you. What you want to do is it's not avoid them or ignore them. Uh, go ahead and go to the next one if you would there, John. What you want to do is I begin to identify with them. So what do you mean? I'm not anything like them. Oh, yes, you are. We already saw that, didn't we? Weren't we all in the same boat before God? We were. Identify with them. Understand where they're at. Understand that there's things that you share in common. Begin to identify with them. Pray for them. God, you know, oh, this guy over here, he is so bad, I can't even imagine. But God, I know you died for him. I know you want to, please, would you soften his heart? Would you use circumstances, life, bring people to life? Lord, help me to be ready to talk, whatever. But God, please do a work in this person's life. Pray for them and then engage with them. Become the friendliest person that person has ever known. Not stupidly friendly. But you know what I mean? Be genuine. Be interested. How are you doing today? If you learn, engage with them and don't let their gruff manner, how they respond to you, throw you off. Keep doing it. And this is the way Jesus says to talk to our enemies, right? To love those who hate you. Do good to them. Bless them. So engage with them. And then as you're praying and you're doing all this, I guarantee you at some point there will come an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And you'll be ready. Now, they may not get saved, but they can. And they may not get saved in their conversations with you, but they still may get saved at some point. I want you to think about this. Can you imagine? You think there might be another Saul out there somewhere? Saul gets saved. He becomes Paul. Later, I mean, it isn't, that's not when the name change occurred, but he becomes who we know as Paul. Probably the greatest missionary that ever lived because of the resources he didn't have and yet the magnitude of what he accomplished and the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you aren't of Jewish heritage today, you are most likely saved because of what Paul did. Can you imagine the difference it would make for us as we try to carry out Vision 2028? And we're trying to make sure that everybody in our greater region here has an opportunity to know Christ. And there are whole communities we don't have any connection with. There are whole blocks of people we don't have any way to reach to. But you know what? There may be a Saul who if we can win them to Christ, they will open the door to a community. Or they'll open a door to a group of people that they are networked with. Now, what I want you to see is this. The reason I, I really wanted to focus on this with you today is, is because the gospel is for everyone. How many people did Jesus die for? All of them. The gospel is for, for everyone. And if you start making judgments about, well, no, not this person or, or not that person, the enemy now has you in a really good place because he'll, 
It'll escalate that in your life. Well, and not this one. And actually, you know, you won't be sharing gospel with people who would get saved. So I want you to stop thinking there's anybody in your life that you don't want to try to reach. You want to try to reach them all. Be part of what God is doing to reach them all. So, Leonard Patrick gets out of jail, bailed out of jail, awaiting further legal procedures on this whole thing. Angry, hurting. You know, I think everybody was pretty much staying away from him. And I don't know if I have the exact details right, but it was something like this. Somehow or other, a lady from the church found out about Leonard, maybe already knew him, and invited him to come to church. And amazingly, he said, okay. On the outside, nobody would have ever expected that. But this, this lady feels a prompting from God and reaches out and invites him. And he says, okay. And he shows up at church. And he is miserable. But before that service was over, he has heard the gospel and it all became clear and he received Christ as Savior. He got involved at that time. The church had a bus ministry. He got involved in bringing hundreds and hundreds of children to church who got saved, many of whom I know today are still actively serving Christ in their lives. And he had a big impact on me as a young man when I first came to Christ. The genuineness of his salvation and, and openness about his struggles. He struggled with his temper for a long time. But his faithfulness. And that picture is kind of neat to me, the one with him holding his little guitar or something or mandolin or something, I don't know. Because he, was a, he liked to play music and sing and the first song I ever wrote, I sat down and wrote with Leonard about his life. But he was a hard case that nobody wanted anything to do with. But somebody believed God and reached out to the hard case. So don't give up on the hard cases because God saves hard cases like you and me. Let's pray. Father, I come to you now and I thank you that you knew exactly what we were like on the inside. Some of us hid it better than others, Lord, but you knew the true nature of us inside, how lost we were, how dead we were to you, how self-centered we were to you, all of those things, Father. And yet you loved us and sent your son for us and and you worked in our lives we could understand the gospel and be saved. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, burden us for not just the hard cases in our lives, but for all the people that you've put in our lives who don't know you yet. Lord, help us to be faithful, to engage with them and pray for them and, and talk with them and share the gospel with them. Father, burden our hearts and clear our thinking to see that the gospel is powerful. 
and that we need to be about sharing it with anyone and everyone that you bring into our lives. And I do pray, Father, if there's someone here this morning who's still on the other side of this fence, maybe they're the Saul here today, they're the hard case here today, Father, I pray that they would just give in to you. That right now, Father, they would acknowledge to you in their hearts and minds that they have sinned and they need a Savior and they're trusting, going to trust Jesus to be that Savior. You've been so good to us. We're grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.